Hello and welcome to another episode of the Two Medics podcast. My name is Imran Lasker. I'm a consultant radiologist. And hi, I'm a cardiology registrar with a special interest in intervention. And this week we have no guest with us today. We don't have a guest. It's just us two. We're going solo through show. This is fun. This is nice. I don't always have to have someone like we keep telling ourselves. Hopefully yeah. people uh, don't just switch off at the at hearing that there's no one with us. There really is no <laughs> one with us today. <laughs> yeah. I think this is something that we're going to, people have said, haven't they, that it's nice to just hear the two of us. And I think also for, from a kind of prepare, preparation perspective, it's mm. a bit easier, isn't it? As much as we have loved having all of our guests on, it's, it's a bit of extra work, right? Oh man, yeah. The amount of work that happens because we've got to do the pre meetup, then we've got to go through things. We've got, yeah, there's so many things that go behind the scenes when we've got guests. And although we love it, it's also, yeah, sometimes we've got to just go with the two of us and uh, just take it easy for a week and just see how it goes and see see what's going on. So, Thrusha, how, how you been, man? How, what, what have you been up to this week? The usual like, research stuff. It's My research time is coming up to an end fairly soon, and I'll be going back wow. into clinical. Wow. Yeah, my first week back, I'll be going on tonight, so that'll be a, a nice little <laughs> gentle way in. So, <laughs> yeah. getting ready. For, so, what am I doing? So, I'm trying to maximise my gym time, because <laughs> it gets harder with doing nights and stuff to sustain that. So, I need to figure out a plan for when I get back into clinical and how I'm going to gym. And, uh, yeah, I'm just trying to wrap up research stuff. How about yourself? Mm. Have you had a good week? Yeah, it's been tough, man. I've been trying to uh, do yeah the similar thing with the gym. It's been a bit difficult to get onto it, and now I've got. I mean, lucky as you through, I've got. I got people. I got people <laughs> telling me what to eat and uh, you know what to do, and they're constantly on my case, and I'm not um, getting to the, my my targets, which is annoying, but also good as well. Because like I was telling you through, I'm my own worst boss. Uh, I always give myself too much leeway. I always sleep in too much. I don't eat the right things. And I was like, don't worry, man. You're working hard. Don't chill. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> Uh, and actually sometimes it is good just to have someone be emailing you be like look what's happening why is this not going why is everything not going in the right direction your temptation is just to relax isn't it relax at home yeah. What's your ideal kind of relaxing at home outfit? If, are, are you asking me what I'm wearing right now? Is that what you oh, want? Yeah, to know? yeah. What are you wearing? <laughs> I'm wearing black jeans from River Island. There you go. Are you and actually? Wearing, I am. Yeah. Sat I'm wearing down. jeans right now. Yeah, yeah. I'm wearing jeans. Yeah. Do you sit with I your legs crossed as well? <laughs> no. But I assume you're referring to that. What was that tweet again? That went wild, like wildfire, didn't it? Not my tweet, but the tweet that had instigated the whole conversation about jeans. It was something about. <laughs> did you see this one? It was like uh, people yeah. who wear jeans. Well, or something like that are better or something. No, people um, who wear jeans at home. What What is that about? Who would pick? Because uh, I've got to be honest, like they're, they're not the kind of comfiest, right? Or that's at least how I feel. I feel they're mm. a bit starchy and a bit hard. And particularly sitting down in them for a long period of time, I just find <laughs> that you're having to manspread. Nobody wants to see that. And when you're at home, oh, I just I love it. When I get home, clothes come off and I'll just be you in my get boxes. Off? Listeners yeah. are excited by saying that. <laughs> you know, Another sound for me to chop up later and put it into whatever way I please. No, but you know, you just, just free those body parts. But I just feel like jeans are just, just you know, a bit tucked. Well, I used to wear like tracksuit bottoms all day, every day, yeah. even when I just went around to the shops and stuff. Oh, yeah. then, I remember this in Ran, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, I, I got hitched and then, I don't know, at some point oh, I just wow. started trying to dress a bit better at home and then they just became jeans and chinos and that's what I wear at home. Yeah, it's all a bit formal, isn't it? I know, I know what you're saying yeah. and it's not always comfortable but it's just the way I do things now yeah just okay. dress up a little bit at home yeah I, I don't know there's that whole conversation we were talking about this last week weren't we and we almost had a mini sort of minor disagreement about dress code and professionalism versus professionalism oh, in the workplace yeah. and it's come up again this week hasn't it yes. someone called Sathina Watson she goes doctors do please share the times you've been told you're unprofessional for things like this hair dress appearance accent etc yeah I th- we spoke briefly she, about this, but yeah, go Yeah, for but it. she's quote tweeting where she said, I have a friend who has told her name 
was unprofessional and she shouldn't yeah. use it her name mm. <laughs> that's well i wonder what her name was was yeah was it literally unprofessional was that her name in which case fair <laughs> enough if the name literally was <laughs> yeah that's, that's that's that maybe that's what it is and then yeah. there was a complaint about my name yeah i think with this one when it comes to professionals versus uh, unprofessional i think there are i personally feel there are some things that are, are not game which is not part of the game you can't do stuff like that you can't be like oh your color's not right your accent's not right your name's not right those are the times when you'd be like oh hang on listen mate you're taking this a bit personal but i think dressing up i don't think it's a bad thing and i think i I still feel as though there is an expectation from yeah, your Joe Bloggs coming in and out of hospital for someone to be dressed a certain way. And I'm not sure that's something, there's a difference between saying someone's not a good doctor or a bad doctor. That's not what I ever said. And that's not what I, ever, I don't feel at all. That, that I don't think that's a judgment on, on your ability and it should not be. But I think like profession, dressing professional is a different thing completely from being good at your job. That, that's, I think that's what I was trying to, to say. Yeah, but some things like hair, dress, accent. Yeah, I don't know. I think that's a bit that's a bit mean, isn't it? And in yeah, fact, fair. there was a guy that I used to work with, and he had his really cool hair. I really liked it. And a consultant actually said, "Crazy man," and he was so polite. Yeah, he was so polite. He didn't even say anything. Oh, what? And then I think he left the room, and then someone came up to her and said, "You shouldn't have said that's really rude." And I, she actually reflected, and then she said, "Okay, I didn't oh, realize I that. that." And then she called him back hmm. and apologized. I'm really sorry and stuff like that. So I think she did a good job there, but. It does make you wonder about the first impression in her own mind about someone's natural hair. That, that was his natural hair. That's the way it is. You can't be saying yeah. stuff like that about someone's natural yeah. appearance. Maybe she was only apologizing to, to save her own skin. I don't know. But at least she did that much. At least she did that much. Yeah. Yeah, true. Mm. Yeah, speaking of apologies. So there's this whole thing mm. going on in US bed Twitter, which was a bit of a thing. Where mm, let's not mention uh, names. Yeah, I don't want to mention names. Okay, but there's no, but there's like a prominent U.S. Uh, medical account, and she was apologizing pretty much on behalf of her surgeon, mm. her kind of her mm. husband partner, who is a comedian. But at least she was getting a lot of heat, which is totally unfair, on, mm. based on what her husband had said. Although what her husband had said was mm. like deeply, it's like transphobic. It's just basically, okay. basically making jokes about trans people. And then his, I mean, his kind of mm. apologies were just terrible okay let me just read let me read this apology to you mm. sorry you guys found this offensive so already he's like framing mm. this uh, framing it on you mm. guys sorry you guys found this offensive i checked with some trans women before i posted now if you're having to do that if you're having to check with a group that you're about to shit upon that mm. whether it's okay to shit upon them then already mm. the alarm bell should be ringing and the fact that you're even falling back upon mm. this and saying some people said it was okay mm. it should be another red flag to you who told me that they thought it was mm. funny it wasn't funny mate it wasn't funny it's just nah. and he goes um not saying it's genius it's not it's not about the level of like cleverness it was just, mm. and he goes but i have equal love for all people and my intention was just laughter mm. yes to laugh at the expense of some mm. people so it offended you to end off end off mm. that kind of terrible non-apology and so there was this whole kind of like really weird thing where then the kind of uh, this comedian's partner disavowed what he yeah, said there were a few things really yeah weird. i did see that and i, I did feel really bad weird. for did the person the partner because the partner didn't really have much to do with it and i think i felt like people mm. saw just going like when people mm. try and burn everything like i'm gonna burn everything down and i felt come on man i mean leave leave, mm. leave her out of it she's got nothing to do with it and i think this person's someone i've interacted with yeah. a few times and they seem nice enough and things like that and I, I do yeah. I think didn't Jimmy Carr have trouble this week as well or uh, over a holocaust joke that he'd made on Netflix and he's been pretty unapologetic about the whole thing uh, and he said I think he, he I think I read somewhere him saying 
listen, the joke that's going to get me cancelled is already, it's on YouTube, it's already out there and stuff like that. And then he just carried on bar barging his way past joking, having joke about the, the Holocaust, apparently. And I'm going to say apparently because I haven't, I've seen some of that episode, but not the entire episode yet. And it's a difficult line, isn't it? We did the comedy course and we felt as though it can be difficult to navigate what's funny and not funny. And the idea of hunching down on people that are oppressed and or feel oppressed is not the right thing to do. And that's those are some of the things that we learn. But I guess by pushing boundaries, it's gone a bit far. And yeah. it's actually better. It's better to just say sorry and you've done the wrong thing rather than to try and apologize like this, isn't it? Rather than say that you got offended by something I said. No, you've said something offensive. Let's deal with that and then move on with your life. No one's asking you to throw your entire career away yeah. and cancel your entire you know thing. Just acknowledge something and move on. We're all here to hopefully learn from each other and the, the wider society that we have, right? Yeah, I think the thing is, though, I don't, I'm not sure like pushing boundaries is really the right way of putting it because it's like the thing is that taking a dump on a marginalized group is really a mine like is really easy because they're hmm. a minoritized group. So I'm not sure if it's really a boundary that needs pushing. The people that you should be pushing for are the people in power and whatever. Great comedians like George Carlin, they, they, he went after some really like big topics and stuff. And you could almost, after his skits, you could learn stuff. It's really cool. Whereas this kind mm. of like, it's just puerile, juvenile stuff, which is just, mm. oh, your mom grow out of mm. that stuff when you're like 13, 14 years old. So mm. I, th I just think the thing is that, I'm just not even sure it can be called comedy. Like the kind of laughter that you get is that kind of uncomfortable, oh, he said something that's really uncomfortable that nobody else would say. Mm. But also mm. that a lot of people wouldn't really think. So it's a bit of a surprise and kind of discomfort, I think. So I don't think it's mm. particularly clever comedy. It's, mm. it's basking in base emotions of discomfort. And so even if you move mm. the kind of comedy purism to the side, it's really not mm. nice either. So you've just got two really good reasons just not to behave that way. Admittedly, I have to admit that I don't know what he said in the first place. I just saw the absolute fallout and I subbed. What happened to me this week, I, I guess I haven't been keeping up with Twitter as much as I usually do because I've been busy mm. with other things. And I just kept turning up and there was like sub people were just subtweeting each other oh, or yeah. something. And I was like, what are they subtweeting now? And I was like trying to skim through, yeah. trying to figure out where the source is. And yeah, then I figured, ah, oh, this is a source. Yeah. But okay, I don't really know what happened here. Fair enough. Jimmy um, Carr basically yeah. uh, the joke was that that one of the positives of the Holocaust was the gypsies essentially. Ah, uh, yes, that gypsies, rings a bell. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. horrible. Yeah, yeah. I just don't see what the funny side of that is. So like the thing is, and the thing is about Jimmy Carr, as I think we know, his comedy style, as in the way he structures jokes and stuff, is like mm. textbook comedian. Mm. And, and he there there is some stuff that some like the way I've seen him take down hecklers and stuff is just like masterful. Mm. So like he's mm. a great comedian. Like he does, I, but obviously he's a complete and utter piece of shit, isn't he? So I, I just think he, he doesn't need to do that stuff. He, no, mm. it just doesn't need to be horrible. He should have just apologised. It just reflects, maybe not as a com as a comedian, but as a human being, it reflects on him really badly. But yeah, so just more terrible apologies on the internet. Just, it, the inter when will people learn? I just yeah, it's difficult, isn't it, to really know how to yeah yeah. You want them to just you want people to at least demonstrate that they've thought about what's been said and and move on from there. But they. Yeah, they unfortunately haven't. And yeah, instead, inadvertently double down on whatever joke they've made on, on both sides, on this person and with Jimmy Carr as well. And I think we see that a lot. And what, don't we see this with our own prime minister right now? We're seeing this whole <laughs> thing with like, 
absolute refusal to apologize for anything and taking resignation. I think someone did a really good uh, a good subtweet of the entire thing, and he said, "I'm I know I've done a terrible job. I've done a terrible job as a consultant, but I have accepted the resignations of all my juniors, oh, yeah. the SHOs, the F1s." Yeah. And I was like, "That's so true. That's exactly what's happening right before our eyes." And so we're left in a situation where you've got someone who's actually in charge of the entire country that is, yeah, just um, refusing to apologize. But moving along with Boris Johnson, like when I see someone like Boris Johnson, like I think to myself, like here's a man who obviously I don't know him personally and I only see what's going on TV and uh, the things that happen in the news. But it doesn't, he doesn't really um, come across as the most the smart guy in the world. And he doesn't come across as the best speaker in the world. I don't really know what his kind of USP or value as to how he's got all the way to the top like that. And I can't help but feel that a lot of the reason he is where he is because of the opportunities that he's got or had in his life. And it's no secret. We all know that he went to very good schools, uh, very elite. He's got very elite friends. And I think it helps him quite a lot to get to where he is all the way to becoming prime minister. And it brings me on to this tweet by Dr. Jess Wade, which got me thinking a lot. Talent is broadly di distributed across the population, but opportunity is not. This is no time for the scientific community to stay silent. It is a crucial moment for science to mobilize against this latest assault on diversity. And it, I'm not going to go through the entire thing, but it's an article basically talking about how, yeah, people, there's a broad, there's a broad distribution of people's intelligence and, and talent across the entire country, but the opportunities aren't there for everyone to use it. And I just feel like Boris Johnson is almost the pinnacle of that. Someone who I don't think he's all that talented in very many things. It just happens to have pretty much so many opportunities come his way that he's and isn't able to take over the whole country. How do you feel? We've talked about this, haven't we, before? Like, how do you feel about the state of things and, yeah, the state of opportunities and how some people get them and some people don't, it seems? I was completely I was perplexed, really, at the kind of people who think of him as a good leader. I just don't understand. I don't see what they see in him. Mm -hmm. I can see the things that people find cute, like they say that his, his hair... And I remember people waxing lyrical when he kind of really badly misquoted some like Greek poem. And he just completely mm. bl um, blustered through it. But that sums him up. Because everyone's like, oh, wow, that's really amazing. He did that from his memory. And it's like, yeah, but he got it all wrong. Like he was making it up and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but people were really impressed by it. And that's essentially him. He just blusters through stuff, makes it up pontificates mm. and nobody really calls him out on it and he just and then he just moves on to the next thing wait a second that thing and he's like, oh no i'm talking about this thing now and um mm. he just moves on and i saw there was some kind of like news headlines recently which was saying that children in schools should be discouraged from criticizing the government <laughs> which sounds, yeah. if you know that in any other country you'd be like wow that sounds like really like a dictatorship or like fascism or whatever mm. but here that, mm, mm. that sounds sounds reasonable like what is going mm. on I just don't get yeah. it. I just don't get it. But we're just gradually moving that way. Yeah, he's an odd one. But it's so strange. I was on, on YouTube today and there was like a the YouTube shorts. He's just flicking through and clearly it must, uh, YouTube must know I'm into business and entrepreneurialism. And Elon Musk turned up mm. and it was something about how Elon Musk talks about how he, he justifies the fact that he doesn't pay as much tax as he probably should. Right. And he was talking about how money, they're like, there's a certain amount of wealth that you get to where beyond that, it doesn't actually matter all that much, which he's probably right. There's going to be, and there's only so much a person needs. And Richard Branson talks about this in his autobiography, where I think someone tried to bribe him. And he says something like, well, listen, I only need one house, one meal, three meals a day, a shoes and a bed. I don't need the extra bit that you don't need to try and bribe me to do whatever you need and hope to get lost. According to the book, I don't know what really happened. But... The thing that Elon Musk is talking about is there is a point where you get so rich that it doesn't really matter. It makes no difference to you in your life. Like you're going to be able to afford most things. But then it, what, what it actually ends up becoming is wealth uh, reallocation and how you want to reallocate wealth. So his point of view is that 
he'd rather reallocate the wealth that he has in the ways that he wants to. And they may, that may be cars and rockets and satellites and all that kind of stuff, rather give it to an, another entity which is not which has consistently shown to be unable to allocate wealth in the places it needs to be. And I thought, oh, that's interesting, isn't it? I never thought about, we may not agree with everything that they're, they're up to, but they don't. They clearly don't agree with the government and the way that they allocate wealth and where the wealth ends up. It was just an interesting point of view from someone that's another stratosphere of stratosphere of existence. Yeah. It seems yeah. really detached. It's just like an interest, it is a really interesting way of thinking and a way that probably is really hard to empathize with, say, if a person's trying to get those three meals a day and keep a house above their heads. And it links quite yeah, nicely yeah, to an, another tweet that we linked, which was on Question Time, that cancer of a program, uh, where there's this <laughs> Daily Telegraph journalist, and he was like, he was mm. saying, oh, Boris Johnson is a phenomenon. He's a bit like a con man, and I just, I'm like glued to it. I, you know, I just want to see if he might just get away with that next con. And it's just amazing because I think about those people who talk about kind of life in this kind of wistful, twee way, mm. because they're so far rem- removed from the reality of some people who are just going to food banks or just. You know, there's so much hunger and stuff like working poverty in the UK and then there's these people mm. talking about buying rocket ships and stuff it's just amazing mm. isn't it because it is amazing. just yeah. they're literally people they're people dying of hunger and uh, like life expectancy is going down and these guys are like buying mm. islands and stuff it just seems so like bonkers but you know what? I think the, it was interesting you talked about Ocean's Eleven because I, when I watched Ocean's Eleven as a kid, I thought, this kid, this film is awesome. I love it. This is so cool. Mm. And then as I got older, I thought, hang on, why am I rooting for the bad guys? There's <laughs> everything wrong about yeah. these people that are trying to steal money from someone else. Fine. I don't agree with the way the casino makes money, but at least it's legal. But these guys are literally doing everything they can to steal money from someone else. And I was like, I don't even like, so now I think I've taken the moral ground in my own mind that I am watching those films anymore. No I don't way. enjoy, same as Fast and Furious, Fast and Furious. <gasps> no like, way! When I watch it, yeah, yeah, when I watch it, it's they're annihilating police people, policemen. Yeah. When they're getting chased and cars are getting crazy, yeah, like, those policemen <laughs> are getting annihilated. I'm not enjoying You're this. Like, oh, I don't so enjoy much... watching people like this. <laughs> yeah exactly see the police cars flying off and getting blown up you're like no i I don't enjoy this you're literally killing what you know should be good people and so when i saw this guy talking about likening the prime minister to ocean's levels that you're treating i treat life like a bit of a game on some levels but this guy's treating it like a movie and that's another level of complete (laughs) dissociation from other people's realities it brings me on to another tweet by medlife crisis our good friend rohin and he actually quotes um, Isaac Asimov. And I, I'm yet to read one of his books. A few f- people have told me to read his books. They're very yeah. good. And I'm going to get around to reading it. I don't read much fiction at the moment. But anyway, he goes, there is a cult of ignorance in the United States and there's always has been. The strain of anti-intellectualism has been a constant thread winding its way through our political and cultural life, nurtured by the false notion that democracy means that my ignorance is just as good as your knowledge. Which also relates to that question time thing from your favorite TV show where a philosophy student was trying to take on someone who's very learned with vaccines. Yeah, what did you think of that, Thrusha? Because we both had a giggle about that, didn't we? It was just amazing to watch. Because I can imagine, can you imagine if we were in that crowd and got asked a question and then just mm. trying to answer, trying to say whatever it was in our minds and even being able mm. to articulate a sentence on like national TV, knowing that all these people are watching and then mm. knowing that you're speaking to a world-renowned expert or who's worked mm. on Ebola vaccine, like an expert on vaccines, and then to pedal mm. and to talk about some research you've done off the internet about data from <laughs> 1999. Like, mm. to, to that level of confidence, when I just, 
it was amazing to watch because you're like, where does that conf- that confidence come from? How mm. it was just amazing, but also really a, a sad indictment of just like, the level of arrogant ignorance that there is. I'm probably going to be quoting someone quite wrong here, but I just remember someone um, attributing a, a quote to Che Guevara, and he said, "Like an uneducated population is easy to fool." And I often feel like this about the the fact that there is not a real push for the general population to get more education. Mm. And it relates to the opportunities. Because if you've got the entire country worrying about pop idol and football, and have you noticed how the government suddenly weighs into football prices and they'll talk about that? Racism in football is the problem and all this kind of thing. And it's you're trying to distract from the bigger. You're pushing people into poverty and pushing them into a situation where they go into food banks. But you're looking after their football. That's all right, isn't it? And maybe I'm a bit cynical here, but I just feel as though they're keeping you uh, distracted as much as possible. Just keep you watching your games, keep watching your pop idols, keep voting for those things that don't matter so that when it comes to things that do matter and it looks so unsexy and so unentertaining that you're not going to get up and vote and, keep, and then therefore you're going to be more easily duped. And yeah, you know, having said that though, Thrusha, there was another tweet that we had in our list. I was trying to find it. It was, I think it's Hassan, I think his name's Hassan and Mehdi, his name's Mehdi something, Mehdi Hassan. Oh yeah. And he was talking to a supposed expert or oh, something. Yeah. And this person was like coming out with tweets and these kind of, you know how when you come to Bitcoin, there's always someone that says Bitcoin's going to go to the roof. And then there's someone's going to say Bitcoin's not going to go to the roof. And when it hits the roof, I was like, oh, I was right. And they become the expert. And so it felt like this person was doing the same thing. They were just blurting out a whole load of nonsense, essentially, and getting it wrong every single time. And uh, Mehdi Hassan was actually calling her out saying, listen, you've had seven or eight situations where you've tweeted something about coronavirus, the strains, the healthcare system, and you've got it consistently wrong. At what point are you going to stop? trying to do this this uh, looking into the crystal ball and telling us what you think. But actually taking a step back, on paper, Mehdi Hassan has got no reason to be talking to someone who's actually on paper more of an expert than he is when it comes to this kind of thing. It's difficult to know when and where we're going to be welcoming these kind of conversations, you know, that kind of challenge to, to, to knowledge or apparent knowledge, right? Yeah. So he was speaking to Monica Gandhi, who's a professor of mm. medicine in, what was it, San Francisco, California. And, and she, yeah, as you say, like she'd just been repeatedly coming forward with these predictions, like saying, oh, I think COVID is going to be getting better. I think by this time, like by July 2021, we'll be on top of it. I don't think Corona is as bad as, just wrong, as you say. And it's just amazing to hear mm. her go, okay, I'll stop. I'm sorry, I'll stop. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, wow. And then he could see yeah. he was like shocked. He was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> cool. Uh, send the interview there. End of conversation. Yeah, Thank yeah, you. yeah. Which is lo- lovely. I hope she sticks to it. I hope mm. she just... But you just don't get that, do you? You get just people just doing the other stuff, the obfuscation and whatever. So. Yeah, I think at some point it feels as though saying that you got it wrong comes across as weakness. Yeah. And it's the same as failing or something. And it's actually Joseph Makta, he tweeted this week about him not getting a place in a, a job that he wanted. I don't know if you saw that. So That's actually today, yeah. I met up with him earlier this week. Yeah. And he, he was saying that he, he was hoping to get this job and he didn't get it, unfortunately. Mm. But he said, look, I believe this platform should be about showing failures as well as successes. So here I am. Gutted, I didn't get a Pete's Gastro Grid post this round. My shortlisting interview scores were good, but with only one post in London, it was always going to be super competitive. So first of all, condolences. And I, I have spoken to him and I said, listen, things always work out. You, you, what you'll find is things always work out and there's always something better for you waiting along. And I've definitely felt that from my short existence so far, that the number of times I've flunked, I, I failed most things I try. But in general, the times you win are good enough to get you 
uh, to be have a decent existence. Yeah. I think it was very important that he's acknowledged failure because I think sometimes Twitter and this whole social media thing can be an echo of success and makes people feel as though they're the one who is abnormal because they haven't got everything that they want or they haven't quite got the things that they think they deserve and then that can actually spiral into this decline of being unhappy and all that kind of thing so i do think it's important i think it's a really important tweet that he did and i thank him for actually mm. to be so open about the time he didn't make it he didn't get what he wanted mm. and uh, he's took it taken it quite graciously hasn't he yeah i think so i think the good thing he's in i think he recognizes that he's in an advantageous position and that he knows what he wants and he's taken mm. up a job this year, which will, which is in uh, paediatric gastroenterology, which is what he wants to do. And so that will be more experience mm. for him. And he just, I think, yeah, he's wise and philosophical. And it's good, as you say, for us to recognise and celebrate our failures in a sense that the, it's a journey and it's just like another side quest. I know that there are people, I think you included, who say that we should include enjoy our training whilst we're there mm. because it ends and then it's ended mm. but I guess sometimes we, we do like very much focus on the prize and only see other people mm. these days a lot of people from our cohort our consultants like yourself or as on registrar but at the same time it's good to see that them happy and achieving what they want and mm. it's not the kind of what brings you you can derive happiness from the journey that's yeah but you know what i i always think to myself and i think i was telling my wife the other day sometimes even when i was training and flunking thing flunking out of things have i said this before in a podcast i don't know if i have so stop me if i haven't well, i need to cut it out so i remember when i was a young kid and i really felt like i didn't have much going for me and my aunt said to me you know what you're living someone else's dream and i thought what on earth are you talking about i told you this yeah. and so i always think about that i always think that you know what like there's going to be a kid in bangladesh who's fishing who would never ever imagine being a, just have a passport yeah, yeah, just true. have a passport yeah. living in this country just having a passport there'll be kids somewhere in this country who doesn't know who their parents are mm. or doesn't have a home and stuff like that and they they can't even remotely imagine the possibility of having a home yeah. or a place to sleep in sure. and so I, I always try and remember like I, I remember the day that we qualified through sure mm. actually I qualified a year after you but I still remember the day that I qualified and I thought I might not get everything in life but at least I know it's unlikely I'll be hungry now because I've got right. this. And that is, that is, when someone says to me, I think we joke about it, oh, Imran, you're rich and stuff. But I felt rich then mm. because I have a home and I've got, f food is not an issue. There's no reason for me to be hungry. If I'm hungry, it's because I haven't had the time to eat. But it's not because I can't afford to go eat. That's not the issue. And so that's rich beyond, mm. there's an entire population of the world that doesn't even have that mm. or clean water. And so I'm always thinking about that when it comes to stuff like this. And um, always so grateful yeah. that I had remote, the remotest chance of getting anywhere near near this and we both we both surpassed someone else's dream oh, and that's yeah, an amazing yeah. thing to always remember as bad as it gets as bad as it gets yeah there is another thread which i guess is humbling mm. which talks about buying homes and how difficult that is and this kind mm. of, i guess is still being a, a bit of a, a first world problem but still it's a real problem for people this it, is, was, it is can we all be a bit more honest about how we paid for our homes I was 24 yeah. and I bought mine with my boyfriend who's 10 years older with much more money. He paid the entire deposit. Or just to say mm. how we did ours, my, my dad, he pretty much gave me money for the yeah. deposit. Same. But the thing is, these days, I guess I, I read into, maybe I read in stuff much more than I, too much. And I've often thought about whether as an investment, a house is actually a good investment in this day and age. Like back in the day when my dad was doing it in the 90s or late 80s, I mean, what a phenomenal investment. You're picking up houses for 50 grand, 60 mm. grand. But now, you know, have to put so much down. Okay. You're actually better off in some ways renting 
And if you had that kind of money to be investing into stocks and share ISAs and stuff and actually see your returns bigger. And actually, I calculated that if I did not buy this house all those years ago and put it into a stock and shares, not ISO, a stock and shares investment, yeah. I'd have actually made a lot more than the house is worth. And I would have had more left over to be able to rent for the last six, seven years. So I would have actually made a profit on my investment. And so it, I think, but the thing is, as time's gone on, I've understood that there is a value to owning something, ownership, being able to improve the house, put out, put a, like pictures up and not worrying about a landlord and losing your deposit. Yeah. There's that, isn't mm. it? There is that. Control. It's just a different perspective and what you think. Yeah, exactly. What you value and what you think is valuable to you. And yeah. for most people, having a home that you own is a valuable thing. Whereas in some countries it's not. Some people don't even know. I think in Germany, did you go to the German exchange? I can't remember. But I think in Germany, when I went there, all of them were renting. Yeah, Every single true. person. It wasn't a thing. The, they don't buy homes. The, the pro- it's interesting to hear it coming from you because generally speaking, the people I've heard saying that to me have been boomers. And I always think that's really funny mm. because I'm like, oh yeah, that's easy for you to say because you climbed the ladder. And now you're like, yeah, but in Germany, mm. no, they don't. Yeah, but that was like a social <laughs> contract that people had yes, here. Yeah. And now that yeah. got sold away by that generation. And they're like, oh yeah, but in Germany, they just rent it like okay but mm. who, are we, who are we paying a rent to oh your generation mm. okay cool and so yeah, I think yeah, there so are true. people saying we're all people are paying they're saying we can't afford to pay a mortgage well actually we obviously can because we're paying rent which is pretty much the landlord's mortgage yeah and, it's, it's the deposit that you can't do isn't it it's yeah. a ladder that you can't get onto so no I agree I'm just saying I it's agree. just uh, when you read about it and if you looked at it from a, a completely monetary point of view it doesn't actually make sense yeah. to buy but now I understand after all these years, that there is, like you said, the social contract that someone should, in this country anyway, there is a social expectation that at some point that you will own a home that is yours and you'll live there and have your, and that'll be your forever home and you'll own it and that kind of thing. But it's just, it's interesting to actually think about it from a different point of view that actually, I'm not sure this makes financial sense. Why am I doing this again? You're right. No, Um, you're right. I think something will have to change. Either our expectation of, well, I mean, our expectations having to change or, you know, it's going to be like a regime change and a government change, but uh, one of them. Yeah, yeah. Medicine as a whole is a different beast to what it was. I think coming on to Phil Lee's tweet this week, he goes, I don't know why everyone has worked up about workload and burnout. Work exists to burn you out. The system didn't expect you to survive more than a few years after retirement. That's why you fought your... that's why final salary pensions existed. And, and it, oh, then he con- it continues. The whole do something you enjoy and it's not work or the results of your labor is reward in itself is a myth designed to trap you in the, I can't even say that word, Sisyph- Sisyphean psych- circle. Do your job, go home, insist that you're paid for the hours you work, look after yourselves. And I think this is a sentiment that I hopefully have, and we have talked about a number of times that I think I was, I was actually tempted to tweet this, but I, I decided against it. And I think I was going to say something like, hey, here's a thought. What happens if your job doesn't love you back? Because I often hear people say, I love my job, but your job doesn't love you back because if the worst were to happen, they just replace you. And so what are you really giving your life up for? What are you coming in early for? What are you staying late for? What are these things? And so you need to understand maybe that job might not give you everything that you want. It might not give you the pats on the backs, the, the, the medal, the thank yous, the hugs and all the rest of it. You're working for you and you alone when you do turn up early. And actually, Roshana uh, tweeted as well something about, as I walk into the hostel half an hour early, I wonder when this NHS expectation that you get in early to prep things before start of activity will end. Never, I imagine, certainly in surgery. It's so difficult, isn't it? Because if you don't turn up early, then you're the slacker. Yeah. But they're not paying you to turn up early. You just expect to turn up early, right? Yeah. I remember seeing a tweet from someone a a while ago 
I think um, he was mm. saying something along the lines of, oh, to me, if you don't turn up early, then you're late. Okay. <laughs> early doesn't mean anything mm. anymore. It's just really weird. Like, but then it, I don't know. But the whole system's based or built upon that goodwill, isn't it? Which is like eroding away, isn't it? Nobody's wanting to do that anymore. And that's why people throw around the terms of professionalism, whatever, as the like, last bastion of guilting people into doing things that they're not going to be paid for. Surely. But people look down on it, don't they? When they're like, well, I'm leaving at five and you're like, okay. Because there was another tweet. Yeah, professionalism. Because there was another tweet about someone coming into work and then there was a handover. Did you see that one? Yeah. I can't find it. It was someone taking a handover from someone else and then someone said, the other person taking the handover said, this handover is massive. I'm going home. Oh. Like, Did you see that? Yeah, wait, yeah. Wait. So no, this is, I was involved <laughs> in this. Oh my gosh. Oh, really? Did you get stuck in again? Oh, yeah, stuck in. That's the thing, actually. That's what became a bit like, funny. So the an SHO was at handover, and they got handed over mm. four patients to Clark, and they said, oh, that's mm. like, way too many. And apparently she was also giving the person that she was handing over to a really hard time. So there were subsequent mm. like, reply tweets were saying stuff like this. But the mm. issue I took was that it was the person who was tweeting about that person's behavior was like the same, like the, it was a for a night shift. They tweeted about it the next morning mm. and said that person that night. And they were like, mm. and then it was like, it started to become more and more clear, especially from the replies about, it was it started like hearing more and more about this. Oh, this person works out of here. And actually they'd done the day shift and it was getting more and more specific. And I was like, oh, this is, and the thing is, the thing that got me was a bit like, I get it. Like the behavior is not is out of order. It's unprofessional, whatever. Like, loads of people were replying, mm. oh, like GMC, educational supervisor, all that stuff. And fair enough, like whatever. Wow. Yeah. That's, if that person who'd gone to Twitter to complain about it had said to anyone in the hospital, mm. to their educational supervisor or whatever, they would have gotten that advice. Mm. But they turned to Twitter to do it with all this kind of specific stuff. And, it's, and so my mm. thread was a bit along the lines of, we don't really know what that person's deal is. So th- they're saying stuff like, oh, that person had worked the day and then was going to be working the night and that's dangerous. And what kind of person is doing that, working the day and then the night? Are they desperate for money? Like what? And you just don't know the mm. circumstances. And I gave the example of once when I was a, a junior doctor, the registrar was looking for, like for the SHO and they couldn't get through. And uh, they bleeped and bleeped mm. and bleeped, nothing. And the register said to me, a couple of years ago, one of the junior doctors hung themselves in the mess. And uh, oh. and and you know, they're freaking out because of that. And what? And obviously when people like don't respond to their bleeps and stuff, everyone's a bit annoyed. Like, where is this person? What are they doing? And naturally mm. the kind of thought process is they're like chilling in the mess or they've gone home or whatever. Mm. But then I found out ages later, to be fair, ages later that she'd, she'd been pregnant and it was a kind mm. of surprise she hadn't told anyone and she started to bleed mm. freaked out went to her parents house mm. now that's no like that's still I, I don't know that's still you should have told people whatever but you went home but can you imagine if in real life she'd have gone to twitter and people were like you should tell the educational supervisor you should tell the gmc blah mm. blah blah and it's actually and so when i said that there was this whole thing which was oh you're just saying be kind and i'm like no i just think maybe you should make it a bit less identifiable just like wait like a week mm. or two and then just say this happened mm. once upon a time and then vent was been mm. and my other point mm. was if you feel that way because i think there are a few times where there have been stuff that i wanted to put on twitter and i've, I've messaged you mm. or I, I remember messaging mm. like you i think and shivani and shivani's like oh no you need people to like vent those things too and not just put those all mm. out there i think that was really good advice mm. but then people took yeah, it definitely. people want a bottom line don't they and they're like oh be kind i'm like yeah it should be kind mm. that's good too but, uh, yeah i just you never know what's going on in someone else's life isn't it you don't really know what's going on and um i think the problem i find anyway is that people i as years have gone on people always assume that everyone else is doing nothing and they always assume that everyone else is incompetent. So the surgeons will be digging, taking a dig at the medics, the medics will be digging at the surgeons, everyone's calling each other lazy. <laughs> 
<laughs> if I turn up, that's how I've, that's what I've seen yeah. so far. If I turn up to handover, let's say for for me anyway, if someone turn, if I turn up to handover and let's say from from for example, there's twenty scans waiting. My assumption is that person has worked hard and they've got 20 scans waiting. Like that's just the way it is. I, I'm not going to make a big deal out of it. There may be a pattern for some people. I've noticed in some places I work where there'll be some people who've got more left over. But that's my job, man. I'm here to take over from your shift and just do what I've got to do. And I might end up having a handing over to the next person. I don't care what you got up to. If you did go to sleep, you go to sleep. I've got my thing. I've got to do my job and move. I think there's too much emphasis on what other people are doing and worrying what they're doing with their time and the assumption that if you can't find them, or they're not all working to your pace, that they're doing nothing. It's just the way it is. Some people just, maybe they are working slow, but they're doing, at least they're working well. well. At least no one's hopefully passed away. I don't know. No, but people want a pithy um, soundbite, so they'll just say that's be kind. Oh, you're just saying yeah, to hug that person. But I don't think there's no, anything I'm not. wrong. I'm saying I don't care what they're up to. And I don't care what they're doing. I don't care what their life situation is. I've got a job to do. I've come to do it. And I'm going to do the best I can and leave. Yeah, that's it. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, that's not be kind that's, I'm thinking about me here I don't know maybe it's <laughs> be kind to yourself yeah, yeah. be kindly right yeah maybe but and it's interesting you talked about how much you share on social media and especially because it was so soon and it was it was so identifiable. And Maxine Ali, she uh, tweeted, and I'm not going to say the entire thing, it's got a big thread, mm. but the gist of it is, I can't believe this has to be said, but medical professionals, it is not appropriate to be sharing details about your patient encounters online, even if they're unnamed and details are embellished and spinning it as an inspirational content. Yeah, we've been there before and I feel like this kind of relates to a bit of what we talk about with Adam Kay yeah. and his whole deal and maybe some of what we tweet sometimes and medical people in general talking about their medical lives and the things they're dealing with. Yeah, how do you feel about, you said that maybe you should leave it a few weeks and then vent, but Maxine Ali is saying we shouldn't, be, we shouldn't be talking about this at all, especially if it's got patients at the center of it or we shouldn't be talking about our encounters with with a said patient who may have been a bit racist or non-racist at one time. It shouldn't be anywhere online. Would you? I think yeah. that was the argument that was posed back to me when I said that mm. thing about kind of stuff. And I think... It's re- it is really difficult. And I think social I definitely have been guilty of using social media to vent. And I think there is a fine line between making stuff identifiable and not. I think, and mm. also, I guess I've got the luxury of having people who I think, a, a lot of them actually I've met through Twitter, who I feel like I can tell mm. stuff to anonymously. Mm. Or at least... Secret WhatsApp Secret groups. WhatsApp groups. Yeah, to like, just basically to target <laughs> destruction of people. I don't, I'm not convinced I really know the right answer on it. I just think that when we do stuff, we should be considerate of um, what other people might see and stuff. I think there's something about medics in general, and I think I'm, I'm guilty of it too. Like my wife, who's a non-medic, will say that when I meet, meet up with my sister, my brother-in-law, who are both medics, mm. we'll end up talking about medicine, which we'll is mm. talk shop the whole time. Oh, right. And uh, you just find that the whole time. And I think medics are just a bunch of people that like to do that in whatever uh, sphere they are. Mm. And obviously, I don't follow lawyer Twitter. And I don't follow accountant Twitter, <laughs> yeah. but I wonder whether they talk about their clients mm. and, yeah, and the tax return that is going through oh, and all this kind of stuff and the difficult p- customer that they had and whether they got the same things. But it, it does get a little bit dodgy when it comes to healthcare yeah. and the people are so private about their healthcare. And, and, and rightly, sometimes you don't want people to know what you're up to and what you may be suffering with because the implications it may have in your own personal life. It's difficult, but then as medics, it's hard to find other ways to vent and speak about your experiences without having to relate it to 
your work and yeah. your life, which happens to be people's health and other people's health and other people's struggles. There was another tweet that came up from someone that I've been following and quite, I, I, he'd written a book actually. This is the first time I'm, is this the first time? Is this something I'm pushing for radiology? Oh, Paul McCoubrey, yeah, who, yeah, yeah, I mentioned before, he's written a really good book, but probably more appropriate to radiologists called The Rules of Radiology. Mm. Quite like humorous and he's very humorous in terms of his tweets. I've, I've spotted him a, a long time ago. And um, Thrusha, you did you want to talk about the one that you sent to me about Paul McCubrey and he? <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, something that caught your eye. Yeah, and um, yeah, I thought I should tell you what I feel about. Oh, this. fair enough. Yeah. So he did a he did a tweet which was he had an example of someone's report, and the report says something like it was about someone's AAA, I think AAA scan, and the person mm. had written we couldn't see what the request looked like, but the, the reply was like, oh, this person looked very well. They walked into the waiting room. That was all written in the some of the report mm. and it's just a sarcastic report which basically mm. implies that the is a waste of the scan is a waste of time and his tweet mm. kind of said something along the lines of oh this is what i aspire to be like and he then he said a bit later on oh i think that person was coming towards the end of retirement and one of the filters wasn't functioning and then he mm. said uh, but then he said other stuff that seems to contradict that sentiment where he talks about or he bemoans the lack of like clinical skills and oh like clinical skills to know what you think okay so i've said this before that when i first started radiology i probably was a bit of a difficult unnecessary difficult and i apologize to anyone that may have interacted with me back in those days i think a lot of it was based on my own insecurities in terms of if a scan comes through what if i don't know what to do and am i actually that good at what i'm doing can i actually give any value to this so i found myself uh, saying no to much more than I probably should have. But as the years have gone on, I say yes to more and more. And it's very rare that I say no to anything. And it's partly because there's so many atypical presentations of things. And sometimes you'll read a request and it doesn't seem to make much sense. You think, oh, that seems a bit silly. And then it turns out to be positive. And okay, I'm going to say allegedly, <laughs> and maybe I've embellished this one a little bit or whatever. But there were the one, there was a couple of scans. That, so why, yeah, there was a scan that really sticks my mind and pretty much changed my overall perspective on all of it uh, a young kid was playing football and he was tackled and then he came in complaining of chest pain and by all straight imagination he was a normal kid with a bit of chest pain probably think maybe a rib fracture and then he got steadily worse and then they let the scan i think they they were big to and fro and arguments are happening we need to get a scan but what scan should we get and eventually they did a cta autogram and it turned out the kid had an underlying connective tissue disorder they did not know about and he had a massive dissection uh, ischemic bowel and passed away <gasps> now exactly that presenting complaint had very little to do with what the outcome was and it felt like a one in a million zillion possibility that this kid would have a connective tissue disorder that no one even knew about and a football tackle would be the thing that would result in the mm. the aortic section to happen so then i started going down the road of okay listen if i was on that on call would i have said yes or no to that scan and that's how i feeling uneasy that maybe i would have said no but why would i say no because you've got health professionals who are worried about a patient sitting there i'm not seeing that patient i'm not examining that patient and they're telling me they're worried why am i saying no to the scan so now i go along the lines of if it's within the realms of possibility i'd do that scan and in fact allegedly this may have happened where i let through a ct head scan on a, a, a kind of elderly patient who'd hit his head of ct facial bones and head and i got a phone call from someone saying you do realize that the previous radiologist who reported this said that this patient's turned up um, six times with the same presented complaint for head injury and it's always normal and they said no more CT heads with this patient and I was like I'm sorry 
but I'm on, I'm the radiologist who's taken this one and I'm saying this patient needs to get the scan because you have no idea what happened between the last scan and this scan. If they fall in between and they've got a bleed, that doesn't, just because they didn't have a bleed the last few times doesn't mean they don't have a bleed now. There's no reason to take a risk like this. Do the scan. And you can see they're getting a bit stroppy with me and I said, I'm sorry, but you've got to do the scan. There's just no way the scan is not going to happen. And they did it. And I don't understand why... Why is that people are unwilling to scan? You've got health professionals. You have to trust them on some level that they know more than you do. Because the few times that I've been stuck in an emergency, mm. you should see the state in me. I don't know. I don't have a clue. Yeah. You're telling me I've got to examine the patient, do the ABCs and the rest of it. I do it as the best of my ability, but I'm not going to be the same level as you are through. I just can't be. I don't examine people the same way that you do, as often as you do. I, th- I think that's what... It's impossible. I think that's what really like irritated me about this person's reply, this Mr. Kubrick, as he was like, oh, I wrote a mm. textbook. Like, good one. And then I asked him, like, oh, do you spend many shifts in a And he was like, joint with a I'm like, mate, does that mean you... Are you like resuscitating patients? Though, yeah, yeah. I was like, mm. that's not the same. And it's like talking about these mm. clinical skills of others, like he really knows like, like when was the last time he examined a patient? And I don't mean just popping an ultrasound probe into their, in their tummy and taking mm. a history and stuff. And he, he just he couldn't see it. And it just it was just hubris. It was just all this kind of like nonsense he was talking about. And he has he just clinically just has no idea. It was really irritating. Mm. And then I could see like subsequent kind of little smarmy and oh, I brought people together. And yeah, because everyone just thought you were being a bit of a dick. Maybe you should reflect on that mm. rather than mm. just like, oh. So I get mm. these. I'd say that he's saying stuff in like in humor. But uh, mm. I think there's a sentiment there that I thought was a little pathological and it's not necessarily someone i'd like to share an mdt with <laughs> well you know it still it reminds me again like in a, a similar situation i was working somewhere else and then i think they were trying to get a scan on a young kid and i was thinking like this scan is probably not going to help that much in truth mm. like in truth i don't think it's going to help that much i think this ultrasound is not going to give that much i went to the consultant who just happened to be walking out they excuse me can i ask you a question they want me to do the scan i don't think it's really going to help them all that much what should i do because we can't do the next scan to the next morning and he said to me if it was your kid, what would you do? Mm. As in, isn't a scan better than no scan? Mm. You've got nothing else to give. <laughs> Wouldn't you just do the scan? And that's what I always think to myself. Like, okay, fine. I can't give everything right now, but I'll do what I can. If, no. if there's a scan that's not going to be 100%, yeah. it's something. At least for the patients, the parents, at least it's something. We've done something. We've tried something. We've done what we can with what we've got. And I just don't understand like why people are so they're so like i don't want to scan i love my job if someone says to me i think i did a bit of a, a jokey tiktok earlier today but I, i'm not joking like when someone shows me a scan i'm like cool man let's look at it i'm interested i'm, I'm interested i'm genuinely if it's a normal scan awesome ka-ching it's an easy scan i've done it yeah. and if it's, if it's a difficult scan great i learned from it and it's an interesting picture that i can maybe look at later and move on yeah. if you like your job then do it don't prevent it the, the, the essence of your job from happening in the first place yeah. no I'm like I, I don't understand I always that. find it yeah. funny because it's the radiologists you know in this study they're like oh it's like defensive medicine I'm like oh who's defending who like it's those colleagues that are defending their asses your ass isn't on the line so like it's easy for you to talk about mm. them being more defensive like from your ivory tower or whatever but um, yeah man so funny but it was funny it was another tweet that came up I think and I think someone was talking it was the they were highlighting the difference say I'm saying something about like how they did a 12 day stretch and burst into oh, tears yeah. 90 CTs into the last weekend, nowhere near the end of this list. Totally agree that there's no excuse for radiologists picking on clinicians, but the work, it works both ways. We're all in the same boat. Now, the day I realized when I, if I said yes more, based on the idea that everything's within the realms of possibility, my on-calls became the most simple on-calls I've ever had. There was just no discussion to be had, no arguing to be had. If I ever said no, it's because I thought there was a better scan or I had a very good reason to say no. Actually, this is really not a good idea and I explain why. 
But even if it was remotely possible and letting it through, it became the most easy, the easiest conversations. There's no need to have an argument. There's no need to get into the fights with you know other registrars, other consultants about this stuff. And most of the time when you try and say no to a scan, it's going to happen somehow. They're probably going to find someone like me who's going to be like, yeah, just do it. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Paul McCribby turns up again and he said, look, I've said it before, but nothing has changed in the last 10 years like on-call radiology. That's bonkers, nothing. isn't it? No specialty comes close. No out-of-hours pressures on CT are immense. You seem like a balance of measure, et cetera, et cetera. Um, <laughs> again, it's like you're talking about things you don't yeah, know exactly. about because we could talk about A&E, yeah. like how much A&E has changed as a service. Mm. Like people used to go to their GP for everything. And now that an A&E thing turned up and then people are like, okay, well, I go to the, there's an A&E thing. I'll go, I'll go find a doctor there. And so like the pressures on that, now it's difficult to see GPs, it's difficult to see any doctor. So the pressures are turning up to A&E is unprecedented, we see it all the time. So I find it a little bit strange to be talking about, yes, I agree. When you're talking about 20 years ago when there was one CT scan in the entire London, then yeah, fine, you had one CT scan coming in an hour, now you've got 30, 40 scans you know, coming in in a session. It can be a lot. But the other thing I'm gonna say here, and I'm probably gonna get into a bit of trouble, we all, I think a lot of radiologists will complain about the workload. There's too many scans that are happening until they go to teleradiology. <laughs> when you're getting paid per scan and suddenly you start calling, up, calling them up saying, hey man, where's my scans? I need more scans. <laughs> I'm telling you, that's the way it is. I tell you, that's the way it is. If you get a radiologist to turn up to uh, teleradiology and you give them no scans, they will start complaining. And if you take them to turn up to work and give them a whole load of scans, they start complaining. <laughs> Follow the money, man. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, anyway, yeah. Anyway, I've, t- I've probably got myself cancelled and got taken myself out the running and become the RCR. You've got, you've no, got this burdening career that. in TikTok anyway, waiting for you. <laughs> 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 yeah. yeah. My wife was actually saying, I don't like, I don't like looking at your TikToks because um, it's embarrassing. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I think because she, she just oddly laughs at it. She laughs so hard that she's embarrassed at Yeah, maybe, maybe that's what it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah totally. I don't know. <laughs> oh, anyway, there was a tweet that I wanted to talk about, which was from Dr. Ra. And she mm. was, ta- so her name's Ruth Anna, and she's talking about mm. how when you pull the emergency buzzer and then the team leader mm. come, turns up and they're pretty much turns off well she says in this scenario they thank the worker for pulling the cord or for their commitment to quality and it reminded me of a time when i was in f1 and someone was having a seizure and i pulled the crash bell because i was like oh, i need someone here and i remember like the the arrest team came and the midrib mm. they're a bit out of breath and they're literally just glad please let there be a visa vehicle oh it's a seizure okay fine and they turn around and walk away mm. and it's the sho who came up to me and he was really out of breath and he was like uh, don't pull arrest calls, don't pull the arrest bell for seizures. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that was what was happening. And But I remember <laughs> to this day, I still remember that feeling of feeling really small because he decided that he was going to state the obvious to me. Mm. But th- there are a few kind of responses to that, which are along those lines. Just people giving people a hard time for pulling the cord. For calling the cord, pulling the cord. I and mean, wouldn't you rather put them pull the cord in, in case something was I mean, like dating know, certain man. stuff. That's gonna... Okay. I still remember, I remember I was doing a, a nephrostomy removal once and the nephrostomies and I, I pulled it and made sure everything was okay. Then I pulled it out and then the, everything seemed fine. And then suddenly the blood started spurting out and I thought, well, that's not meant to happen. And obviously me being me, I, put my th- I, I panicked and I put my thumb on it. And I was like, oh, in the situations like, okay, so if I take my finger away, is this going to start hosting it? So I put my finger away and start hosting it. I put it back and I was like, okay. 
this is not a good situation right now <laughs> oh, and no. I don't know what to do. And then I thought, okay, hang on, what's my shirt looking? So I looked at my shirt and I was like, okay, still white. There's not too much blood on it. Okay, that's good. So no dry cleaning bill here. Uh, and now I've got this guy here. What do I do? So I, I looked around and I said, can we pull the uh, the crash thing, please? And that wires, I, I just think we probably should because I'm not sure what's happening here. And then I put my finger away. I put my finger away. Yeah. And um, it stopped bleeding. I thought, ah, sorted. So then I turned him around and his stoma bag was filling with I thought, what is going on here? Why is this happening? Anyone? Everything all right, Doc? And I was like, are you feeling okay? He goes, yeah. And I was like, okay. And I looked around. I was like, I don't know what to do. Why is that bag filling up? I don't understand. It, anatomically, that makes no sense. What is going on yeah. here? And then... Um, Thankfully, when the crash team arrived, I was so relieved because yeah. oh, I'm useless in the situation. And it actually turned out to be really interesting. Thankfully, the guy was fine. And what happened was that the, the nephrostomy tube had blocked off a renal vein, it was holding it closed right. by the tube itself. Oh, wow. So when I, when I, so everything was fine. Like when I made sure it was in the correct place, it was in the correct place. Right. But when I pulled it, it released the pressure from that renal vein. Oh, wow. And then that's how bleeding back, you know, down the tube from where the nephrostomy had come. So when I put my finger on it, <laughs> it clotted up that tract, but now the blood has to go somewhere. Oh, no. So it went down his ureter and out into his urostomy, which I thought was a stoma. And that's why there was blood coming into there. And eventually that stopped and then he was fine. Oh. So thankfully it wasn't a big deal whatsoever. But it just goes to show you, like me being a radiologist, I have no idea what I was doing. I was stressed out and I was so thankful when the med medical team and everyone there, the, what do they call them again? The acute bleeding team. Oh, something. they came yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, they came as well. There was loads of people there. The whole room just filled up. <laughs> and those are the times you can cuss these people as much as you want until you need the help. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, thank you so much for helping me. Like, what? I don't know what I was doing in that situation. Yeah, that, that's always the way these things, I think. And that's why it's not, I don't think it's a good idea to, to gun people like that anyway. Anyway, speaking of, I think there was something that I noticed that I thought was quite funny. Helen Metcalf, she said, note to self, do not make jokes on US med Twitter. And uh, we have been trying to get someone from the US med Twitter to turn up and I think we'll get there eventually. Yeah. But I thought this was really funny because I've experienced this. Have you experienced this where there is a difference in the way tweets are received across the pond? Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. I'll quickly say it. The original tweet was, what are surgeons' options if they need to pee during a long procedure? And so for your average person, that's a bit of a jokey thing. There's not really much to say, but he decided to actually reply. Scrub out, hold it, wear a catheter. And so I'll give genuine advice to what was actually a jokey tweet. Have you felt this, Rusha? Have you been in this situation? With tweets that have been taken seriously, yes. Did I tell you I joked about how, I made a joke about how Aaron had lost my car keys and, and I said that oh, I'd really like him to speak and stuff so then he could tell me where he'd put them because I've been looking for a little while. And then someone said, mm. oh, there's this audiologist replied saying, have you had his hearing checked? And I was like, it's just a joke. <laughs> but yeah. And so I was a bit like, oh, should I reply? And then I saw that I looked in their bio and it's like audiologist. And I was like, oh, that's their thing, isn't it? Checks. And I was like, mm. oh, whatever. And I guess like someone was saying something along the lines of you should try and imagine the voice that they use to like write that, the tweet. And so if it's, have you, have you had the ears checked? Or in this kind of accusatory way, or it could be like, have you thought about maybe? You could do different mm. voices. And in the end, I think when he became sick, it was actually an audiologist who picked up on it. Like she was doing an audio. Mm. So like he'd had all his baby checks and he was fine. And I was, I'd gone home to wait for the checks and stuff to all be done before coming to pick him up. And then an audiologist came to check his hearing. And then she, she couldn't do the checks over the sound of his breathing. And then she measured his sat, saw the mm. low. And that's when he went to intensive care. So like, I'm always like, mm. audiologist. Okay, so I just I liked it and moved on. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. 
Man, I remember when when I was doing F1, and then there were, I'll tell you about this. They they sent this Excel sheet back in those days. An Excel sheet. He said, if everyone, everyone wants to change their uh, F2 jobs, let us know. So I, I looked around. And I looked at the Excel sheet and tried to find the jobs that were doing the least. And there was someone doing like public health, audiological medicine and GP. And I thought, yes. <laughs> and I think I, I sent a reply to all that I want that job. And people were just coming up to me randomly like, dude, trust you to try and take audiological medicine. Oh, it was like audiological medicine, genetics. No, it was genetics something and GP. Oh, it was just wow. the most non, non like on-call stuff. Everything I could do to avoid actually what I felt was I do the hard graft of like urology and just general surgery and all this stuff that I did end up doing in the end. Yeah, yeah. I, I found med to, US MedTwit to be quite funny. I think I did this um, one meme where someone was taking a really large step over a whole bunch of stairs. And so their leg was, their foot was going onto straight to CT scan. The joke was they were skipping every single step, clinical examination, introduction to patient, everything to leap over to go to CT. And I, then, I said, surgeons be like... <laughs> And then people, most people got the joke, yeah, but then yeah. someone, a surgeon from America was um, like, oh, it's such a shame that in your universe, surgeons are, the surgeons in my universe are not like this. And I was like, I think you're taking this a bit seriously. So I replied, it's amazing that you've got your own universe. And then, and he was like, oh, and he was quite uh, good. Okay. He was quite jokey back about the whole thing. And he did this like little meme to show a laughing face. But his original tweet was not a joke. He was really trying to like explain to me that my, my meme wasn't taken in the joke that it probably should have been. And it was meant to be. So I've been a bit care more careful about my my memes these days. Probably not so much my TikTok. <laughs> did I tell you I got banned this week? No. I got banned off, TikTok, uh, off Twitter this week. Yeah, yeah. Banned off Twitter? I got an email. Yeah, yeah. I got suspended. It was so random. I got an email saying you've been suspended. I was like, okay. There could be a number of reasons for that. Is a dog thing that's finally caught up with me? And then I looked and it was because I did a, a TikTok with a song by Anastasia in the background when you've been left outside or something. Oh, yeah. And it got copyrighted uh, and uh, it got reported and copyrighted. And then I thought, oh, wow, that's a bit, that's a shame. That's the end of two medics then. And then, and then yeah, I, I just went through to Twitter and they said, do you accept this? Like, yes, I do. And then my account again, I was all right, I'm back. That's, that was a nice uh, Twitter jail yeah, or whatever it was, weird. random. Yeah, be careful of the songs you choose. Maybe that was the moral of the story. Yeah, but was there anything else? I mean, we've gone through so many things. I can't believe we've got through so many things this week. Yeah. Sure. Oh, there was a big one, wasn't there? The, it was the breastfeeding oh, yeah. one. Do you remember that one? Yeah, should we talk about it? Bit deleted about it and it depends on how safe you feel but should we talk about it? We should. Never. Never, yeah. Uh, maybe we should we mention should. in passing. Because I guess people yeah, gone. delete their yeah, accounts. Gone. I mean, because they delete their accounts maybe we won't mention their names but there's mm. a Max Fax doctor who um, recently gave birth to a baby. Congratulations. Mm. And Congratulations. they were being visited by the health yeah. They were being visited <laughs> by a health visitor and the health mm. visitor was being a bit of a knob really well no that's like mm. an understatement but essentially there have been some problems mm. with breastfeeding and she wanted some support with formula mm. feeding and this health visitor had some very strong opinions on it or at least was was just being really passive aggressive and then arbitrarily just mentioned that the baby might have posterior tongue tie which i think is a funny thing okay. to tell a max fax doctor and an ent surgeon i don't think the a max fax doctor had said that she's max fax but still just mm. pull a diagnosis out of so she was saying that saying a posterior tongue tie is a kind of conclusion you get to after seeing the patient under a ga whereas the uh, health mm. visitor had made no such examination of the baby so it was just essentially just pulling out random jargon to try and i guess force or pressure her coerce her into mm. i don't know breastfeeding and then mm. but then they got attacked i think like they they, they were getting uh, GMC tweets and just people just going after them and it just seemed oh yeah. yeah isn't it hard enough like looking after a little baby without having to answer idiots who like not involved in your situation mm. on the internet 
it's too much. Yeah, I saw some of this. I saw some of the tail end because I think I saw, I think maybe the lady tweet about lovely, she's got the new kid mm. and having, you know, but and she's stressed and she's tired. We all remember those feelings, don't we, of like when you have a new kid for the first time. And I still remember like when we had our first baby, I, I, I think I woke up in the middle of the night and I was thinking, what on earth does that sound? <laughs> And there was like some baby crying. What is that weird sound in this room? And I looked and I was like, oh my God, yeah, I'm a dad. Oh my, that's my baby. They're, they're crying. I've got to get up. I've got to do something. It's a stressful time and it's a lot of getting used to things. And to have to deal with that sort of pile on that ensued is pretty sad. What was the trigger? Was it the fact that they were condescending? Did they come across condescending in the way they were talking about the healthcare assistant or healthcare? No, I think um, it was more the sentiment about alternatives to breastfeeding so a trigger word eh? yeah, it's another one to avoid yeah. for in future breastfeeding you do not get so cycle helmets using the word patient and uh, saying anything about breastfeeding yeah. and if you don't want to get into an argument do not talk about vaccinations mm. if possible then you should be how you should oh, have quite a nice you, twitter existence yeah well also if you can't see jerry's <laughs> bethan did a tweet about jerry oh, training. i missed, wow. I missed yeah, a lot jerry's, of that yeah what was that i don't know yeah, she, yeah, I, I, re that, yeah. I retweeted her because she was like oh something about jerry's training and then i went into the mm. lab and there's no i was in the lab all day and there's no reception i came back and i saw loads of tweets from bethany saying thank you for all the support i've gotten uh, and i was like support mm. and i was like looking back and it was like all these people are just giving a hard time using jerry's in, oh God, mm. one. Yeah, I don't know what the word to, what to do now because what, what do we call? What do we, we just don't talk about Jerry's, it. What is it? Don't, the other, don't we don't it. talk about yeah. it, which is annoying because I've, I've written another poem that I was going to put out. Now maybe I've already put out there called Stethman, and he's on the ward for the elderly. Oh, no. And now I don't know whether I can have the word for the ward for the elderly on there. Anymore, people, but then the poem doesn't no, work. I now. think you'd have to say medicine for the older person. You might say older person. It doesn't rhyme. Oh. Or with elderly. Yeah, it's going to ruin my entire poem. Yeah, it has to be. I don't know. I'll have to think Should about it. Should we get people to tweet? Know. I already put the poem out uh, there and I haven't been cancelled. Uh, fair enough. So there you go. maybe I got away with it. But then I do seem to get away with a fair bit these days. Yeah. I think we should get people to send um, you. They should, when, they're, when they've got a problematic opinion, they should just tweet it at you and then put your name in it. And then that's like the seal of it. Then you're just untouchable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Surround them in your cocoon. Of like invul- No, I, I think I run a very bland account these days with the odd, the odd silly TikTok. And uh, I don't really get too involved with the big fights and stuff. I'm more of an observer <laughs> and a learner and try and take the lessons where I watch can. I, I feel, yeah, watch and learn. And I've learned a huge amount from doing, doing this podcast. I've learned a huge amount and watching and involved, being involved in Twitter. Mm. I feel like I've learned a lot of things. Mm. And there's certain people that I learned from like Xander consistently seems to be teaching me a lot of things words I never knew (laughs) and obviously the more important things as well about life and the way life can be for people etc etc have you? I just want to ask. Are you? You read well. You listen to a lot of audiobooks. What are you listening to them? Oh, I'm reading a really fascinating book uh, called. And you know what? Let me just take it out. I think we spoke about this on another group, didn't we? Mm. Like the books that we're reading right now. I am currently reading. Yeah, this is the thing. Like, none of my stuff is fiction, and none of it's to do is very medicine. Yeah. The first twenty hours on how to learn anything fast. Oh. It's a very interesting book, because it's a topic that I've often felt but never really put into words. In that. A lot of the time we're trying to chase chase perfection and trying to we say things about ten thousand hours, but in truth you don't need to do ten thousand hours to be good ten thousand hours to be good enough. You don't. If you want to be good enough at something, you only need about twenty hours Mm. of like proper practice and stuff again to do something. And it's a very interesting book in terms of how it identifies. Like one of the things I took from it, and I think you relate to this on some level because I thought about your research and stuff, or research in general. It says a problem half solved is a problem that's well defined or something. Oh, okay. And it's true, right? I can't go do a research project on CT. 
people are like, what are you answering about CT? We need to have a, a problem. So as soon as you define the problem, then you can then you've got something to work with, and then yeah. you've got to find the tools to work with the problem. And so it's a lot about planning rather than trying to just go gung ho and trying to fix whatever the problem is. And this situation is learning and you so I find it really useful. What do you listen to or reading? Yeah, about? I was doing a lot of nonfiction, but then I, I don't know. I thought, oh, I'll try I'll try some fiction, and mm. I'm reading. Haruki Murakami. There's one Q. I don't know what that is. One, he's a Japanese author. He's really good actually. Okay. One Q84. That's this kind of. It's a trilogy, mm-hmm. and uh, okay. it's just it's just ordinary fiction. It's not anything like particularly, or whatever. But it's just really interesting. Mm. Just the way he writes is really like interesting. Have you read Captain Crowley's Mandolin? I basically was looking up. No. Okay, I, I love that book. It's yeah. like my favorite book ever. And basically, his oh, the author, yeah. I was like, authors like him. And then he came up with mm. Suruku Murakami. And it's just really, the, the, the characters are really, you just end up almost thinking a bit like them and you end up rooting for them. And then there's a few different characters and you're interplay in some way and you're not quite sure how. Mm. And there's lots of the kind of implication, like you're kept in the dark. There are a few kind of scenes where you feel like the characters are in on something and you don't really know what it is, but they're giving you little tidbits and you're like, oh, is this what they're talking about? Or are they talking mm. about that other person now? And it's just, it's really interesting. It's quite engaging. Okay, send me the link. Actually, I might link my book and your yeah. book into the description in case anyone is interested in my boring one about how to learn That's a new skill really and your one on, uh, yeah, maybe people do want to be interested in what we're reading and yeah. stuff okay yeah so it's been quite an eventful week uh, on Metwitter this week uh, unfortunately a few people have ended up getting cancelled yeah. or okay. leaving the platform which is a bit of a shame I hope they do come back and we've had some very interesting opinions and stuff lying around uh, so as always entertaining Metwitter try and uh, stay out of trouble thank you for another great week and uh, we'll be catching up with you next week for another episode of the Two Medics podcast uh, and thank you for your continued support etc etc alright okay bye everyone alright then bye